ladies and gentlemen, to episode number 15, that is XV of Wampa Radio. I almost forgot the name of our podcast. That is good start, Flake. Way to go. You were thinking too hard about the Roman numerals. I, I, I was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, okay, now I'm off track. But, hey, uh, this is a podcast about Star Wars card gaming with a heavy emphasis on Star Wars Unlimited by FFG. Doa, please rescue me. Uh, sure. Uh, I'll send someone right over. Oh, you mean take uh, take over talking? Okay, I mm-hmm. got it. Yeah. Well, well. Let's dig into some headlines, some strategies, some discussion points on everything you might want to know about the world of Star Wars card gaming. You know the drill. That's that's how it is usually around here. How's it going, Charmer? Save us. I think it's going fantastic because I'm not the reason that the opening has failed for once. Normally, it's me trying to say Final Fantasy games or something silly like that, but this time <laughs> it's not my fault. So Fatal we are, theory? of course. Yeah, we're, we're going to cover the headlines. We're also going to talk about our main topic, which is the merits, the pros and cons, if you will, of a digital client when it comes to card games. But before we do any of that, we have to cover the Wampa Cave Poll of the Week. Ah, uh, yes, the fabled Wampa Cave Poll of the Week, which is now uh, a staple of, of this show, I feel. It's oh, it, it is as it Sorry, should be. I, yeah, I had a reflexive laugh. Anytime Flake says the word fabled, I think, oh, the thing he has never pulled in flesh and blood. Uh, so that have you that still never? Me. Is that true? Is you, have you still never pulled a fabled? I will. Okay, so just if we're gonna put this into perspective, okay, I have yeah. opened for myself for my own collection that I own probably about 80, 80 or so boxes of flesh and blood. Okay, over the span wow. of several years. Yeah, and like a lot of That's them lot. are prizes, a lot of them are gifts and stuff like that, and a lot of them are compensation for various other things I've done. I have never opened a fabled. It wow. gets worse because I have opened for other for streams. I have opened for realm games, like when they got dusk till dawn and they needed to open for their own supply. My total of boxes that I have opened in my life exceeds about 150, and I have never opened a Fabled. Never in my life have I opened a Fabled. I've opened plenty of legendaries. I've opened great packs. I've opened all kinds of cool stuff. I have never opened a freaking Fabled. So, yes, thank you, Charmer, for that reminder. That is impressive. Uh, Considering last week, I pulled a 25-year-old pack off the wall and opened the most (laughs) valuable card in that set. Uh, I was at my One Piece local last night, and out of one of my two prize packs, got uh, the second highest value alt art leader card, too. So, you know, I I don't know what this is like, this experience that that Flake has opening packs. So I, I like to hear about this. How does the other half live? Is what I ask myself, <laughs> and then it, I then I listen to Flake opening pack in constant Story. fear and regret. I feel like I already won the lottery. I live in Canada, so <laughs> I I'm I'm happy about that, and I think that that is that is where it all balances out. I I, I listen, think balances out. Just I, I think yeah. he's just saving all of his luck for whatever cool Han Solo is going to be in Star Wars Unlimited, and he's going to get it day oh, one. That's yeah. what I choose to believe. Anyway, or, I, I like that for you. I like that idea. Yeah. 
Or do um, do I open this pack of Young Jedi that I said I would? We can do that oh, a little later. You you know what? You, you could. You know what we should have on this show? We should have one. a button that one of us hits at any t- kind of point to rescue us out of a uh, out of a situation where we have an emergency pack that we open to just break mm. up the conversation. Do we should we implement that the emergency the emergency like idea? Yeah, we, we shuffle between different games and things. And, you know, obviously we have an emphasis on Star Wars Unlimited here. But, uh, but frankly, that game's not out yet, so we can't open packs of that. But there are lots of other games, some Star Wars, some not. Yeah, we can but do that. I think when, when Star Wars Unlimited comes out, we, will, we should each have a booster box, like, nearby where, if needed, if things go so off the rail, we are mm. allowed, like, one emergency pack opening button where we all grab a pack and we say, okay, let's recenter ourselves we all open a pack, and then that feels. Does that feel like a good idea? I think that that's something that. Yeah, sure. Cool. Uh, so, uh, fantasy flight games, please send us boxes as soon as possible. <laughs> this is for your own good, frankly. But we, <laughs> there you go. Uh, you are correct. We did have a Wampa Cave poll that is uh, appears every Sunday at Wampa Radio on Twitter. This week's cave poll was: What aspect of Star Wars would you like to see represented in? Star Wars Unlimited. Uh, your options being pod racing, carbon freezing, Jedi training, and politics. Now, this is one that you suggested, Doa, and maybe sure. talk, talk to us a little bit about the inspiration of this one, because I got it. Charmer got it. Yeah. Well, for, for the viewers at home, listeners at home that uh, are, are not as familiar and haven't been watching any of the other episodes, apparently, we talk a lot about the old Decipher Star Wars card game on the show a lot, which is, you know, our, I think undisputedly uh, the best Star Wars card game ever made. You know, we'll see what happens next year. But for now, that's the best Star Wars card game ever made. In that game, they did a very good job of bringing different sort of parts of the Star Wars universe, different fantasies sort of to life in that you could make a deck that was based around political maneuvering or carbon freezing your opponent's characters or even winning pod races. I'm not making that stuff. You could even make a deck that played Sabacc, mini games of Sabacc against your opponent and won that way. So yeah, uh, there was a Jedi training deck. Uh, so you, you could do anything. So I would love to see that type of theming element involved in uh, in swoo in some sort of way right where you can build a deck that's not just necessarily around attacking your opponent and dealing damage and and fighting units you know that's the core of the game right but i i always like those side strategies i always like those alternate win conditions so give me that kind of stuff give me politics give me pod racing give me carbon freezing give me all that kind of stuff so that's where the question came from long answer to your short question there do we have a show and tell charmer because you got up and went to go get something Well, kind of. I was going to say that until Doa said it, I hadn't even considered that Sabak could have been an option, and now I'm upset because oh, sure. I, I would have picked it. Ooh. And I've got a deck of Sabak, and I actually think what's going to happen is when we all inevitably get together and we jam some Star Wars Unlimited games, I'm going to bring this, and I think we should film some games of us playing Sabak. Totally. Because I think that would be a good time as well. I don't think... And it- we... Uh- 
just like in uh, in Star Wars, we'll put our vehicles up as uh, as uh, the wager. You know, uh, I was about to say, I'll yep. toss I'll toss my busted ass Corolla in there. I'm sure. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, she's fast enough for you, old men. Like I'll tell you that much. Doesn't look like much, but she's got it where it counts, <laughs> yeah, right? She's got it where it counts. The the insurance is paid. That's where it counts right now. So. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so the options again were uh, like I said, there was a pod racing, carbon freezing, Jedi training politics i i went with jedi training because again when it came to star wars ccg that to me was such a mountain to climb in that game to the degree where you get Mm -hmm. stubborn and and i'm this is a shout out to some of my buddies that i played with essentially exclusively my buddy jed and my buddy chris and we played this game religiously and i was always the harebrained schemed idiot who preferred to accomplish things versus winning the game i wanted to train my my boshek to be a jedi i wanted to blow up the death star i wanted to do stupid stuff whereas my opponents were beating the piss out of me all along the way so i want to see jedi training in this and to some capacity not necessarily in the you know uh, cue uh, Charlie Day in It's Always Sunny with the Pepe Silvia, Pepe Silvia kind of weird things going on, like in terms of how complicated it is, but something similar. Yeah, I I, I love the Jedi training thing. That was I also played that deck. You know that deck caused problems though because people figured out you could do sort of like a weird force draining kind of thing once yeah. uh, once Cloud City came out. I think it was is you could use the cloud sectors on Dagobah and then you could force drain your opponents. You basically could take away the cards from their deck which was your life in that game and there was nothing they could do about it because they could not the the imperials could not go to dagobah that was just like a rule in the game like you it was very very difficult to get to or impossible pretty much to get to dagobah so you could just do that and no one could stop you it was think, a plague upon the game for a while i think you had to you had to move a ship to dagobah then yeah. you had to land in the bog clearing if mm-hmm. if you played the bog clearing and then you have to disembark. And so just picture the brochure for this trip. You know, you're like, okay, well, you're going to start it at uh, at uh, Coruscant, which is Parsec Zero. Your ship has hyperspace three, so it's going to take you three turns to jump to Dagobah, which is Parsec Nine. Then you're going to have to land in a swamp, disembark, and then maybe there's some cool stuff you can do on Dagobah. Yeah. Oh, wait. By the time you get there, you're now also having to engage in conflict with Yoda, a trained Luke, and it's yep. with whatever, you know, little characters that you could muster early <laughs> enough in the game to start the journey. So whatever force you're bringing, by the way, is going to be severely overmatched. Yeah, it was yeah. it was a plague. It was a nightmare. You didn't want to timeshare his hut? Like, just be like, hey, these are my two weeks in Yoda's hut. Puts it up on Airbnb or something like that. Yeah. What did you... What you? Five-star review, you will. <laughs> what, I don't know uh, where that came from. What, what, uh, what, what would you select out of all of this? Uh, I would pick pod racing. Because uh, I, I love pod racing. Like, I, I'm not a huge prequel fan, but man, pod racing is so cool. It's just rocket chariot racing, which is just awesome and uh and 
I I still maintain that I want to see a Disney Plus pod racing show. Imagine like Drive to Survive, but like about pod racing, right? Or like Speed Racer, but it's about pod I was racing. Just where, speed Racer, yeah, where it like follows like a, a you know an underdog, you know, like racing crew try, that travels from planet to planet and competes in pod races. And you get these all these awesome pod racing scenes, and then the drama that uh, that surrounds it. It would be, it'd be it'd be pretty neat. Yeah. Well, and because like outside interference is acceptable, there's all the <laughs> yeah, hygiene, pretty much. right? Like when you think about speed racer, right? Like all of the buddies can do these various things during the race as well. There's so many ways you could play into it. I, w- I would watch that. I would love it to be an animated thing too. Like make it a cartoon and I'm all in. Yeah. Like uh, uh, my brother had a, a great idea for a, a pod racing show that was that was really hilarious, actually, where like. The rebels were like really into pod racing and that's how they were like maybe transferring secrets. So the Empire has no choice but to send Darth Vader undercover into the racing world because he's the only human that can do it. And there's only humans in the Empire. So he has to like disguise himself somehow so he can infiltrate this pod racing scene. Yeah. And and uncover the rebel plot. Now I want it to be Kylo Ren. I need the undercover (laughs) cloth Matt again. But instead of pod racing. Yeah. (laughs) My name is Steve. Uh, I'm a pod racing pilot. Yeah, that, that actually makes a lot of sense i want it in like crazy over the top not like cgi not like uh computer like like rebels style or clone wars animation i want animation animation like manga style oh like crazy animation and oh no i want live action sorry i i'll i'll disagree with you on this one i give me more live action pod racing like okay, that like that makes sense. Like imagine it's just like Fast and the Furious, and then you have like Vin Diesel like pulling you... up in a muscle car like <laughs> next to Ben Quadineros and just being like, "I'm doing this for family." And then like he's you like, know, Meh. if if you followed the Fast and the Furious franchise, a crossover like that would be like the least surprising thing in the world. They can do whatever they want in those movies now. I love that franchise, by the way. <laughs> they're so they're done. I'm not ashamed to say it. they're not done. They're not done. This the X was a, a two parter. It's a cliffhanger right now. Yeah. Well, uh, you can kick me off that cliff. Just I relinquish my grip. Charmer. Will his family survive? <laughs> yes, yes, they will. They will. Okay. Maybe not all of them. <laughs> but mm. Charmer, which one did you select? First of all, I just want to say I'm surprised at how close this was. This might be the closest yeah, one that we've ever it was. had. It absolutely uh-huh. was. I selected carbon freezing for two reasons. One, again, harken back to Decipher. It was one of my favorite things to do in that game was play Bounty Hunter decks. And the fun thing about those decks was that you had multiple things you could do once you captured somebody. Carbon freezing was, of course, one of them. But you could also feed people to the Sarlacc. Uh, If you took them to Jabba's Palace, you could put them through the trap door into the Rancor pit and then the Rancor would eat them. And I loved all of that. That was like my favorite thing to do. You know, you talk about Jedi training. My best friend, Rob, he played a Jedi training deck where he would train a Jawa to become a Jedi because (laughs) Jawas were like his favorite thing. Like if you said Utini to him, he would light up like a Christmas tree. So he would always train a Jawa. And then my job was to play a bounty hunter deck that was centered around Jodo cast. Again, one of the background characters named by Decipher. He looks like Boba Fett, but isn't. Uh, but I would capture his Jawa and feed it to a Rancor, and it made my day. So I selected Carbon Freezing because it was the closest thing to that experience, but also because I felt like it would be the easiest to implement 
as far as mechanics uh, with the existing Star Wars Unlimited mechanics, right? I think carbon mm. freezing could very much just be, you know, capturing an opposing unit, almost like a stun or whatever. And then there might be a way where you can get them back. Like you're just incapacitating them without defeating them. So maybe you don't get like on defeat triggers, but you still deal with the character. I do think that there's a couple of ways that you could implement it without having to go too in depth. I would still love to see pod racing i'd love to see jedi training but i think those things will be better suited i think for like a future set or something because you'll want mm -hmm. that to be a bit more of a storytelling journey i think carbon freezing is something you could do with just like a very small handful of cards so that was part of my other decision but i chose carbon freezing you know what none of us selected politics and uh because again that oh, well. this was a something that was implemented in the uh in the prequel sets of star wars ccg i believe it was in naboo mm -hmm. that uh, or coruscant or naboo that it came out where uh you can now sort of enter the senate and then uh, the negotiation was your greatest your greatest asset uh which was phenomenal when that set came out, that probably was like, okay, this game is done. Like, we're done here. We're done here. No, what are you talking about? They're just using what they got. I yeah, can't, that hey, game could have kept going forever. If I, it, is, it has kept going forever. I went into the 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 chamber, into the Senate chamber, with a uh, a Luke Skywalker Jedi Knight and his lightsaber. And right. I couldn't do jack squat in there. <laughs> like, it's just well, like, yeah. yeah, all your weapon destinies are minus six. All like all your power and stuff is essentially equated to what your politics are. Uh, it's not yeah. an arena for weapons. It's an arena for the mind. Okay, well, thank you. The, the, what is this? Are, yeah. are you are you a part of the Mensa lobby? Like, what is this? What does that stand for? Mensa? <laughs> I, I don't. I have no clue. I don't remember. Mensa oh, I don't is remember like what the acronym. I guess is for. not. <laughs> okay so here are the results you clowns uh jedi training wins again with 34.2 percent and you are correct this is the closest that it has ever been in any uh in any of our polls a second place ironically was uh, politics at 23.3 percent pod racing at 21.9 percent and carbon freezing is a uh, just a hair behind at 20.5%. So I think everybody just wants to see everything. And I think that's what this tells us. And you can do that. There's totally ways to work all of those things into this game uh, over the course of, you know, how many X sets uh, come out eventually over the years, right? So it'd just be cool. Yeah. Why limit yourself to just blasters and power and units and things? There's so much. The world of Star Wars is so big, you know? Utilize I will. It. I will say when it comes to player expression, Jedi training is a bit of a treasure trove as far mm -hmm. as like cool alt art things you can do, because, again, you can have it just be like a custom character, right? Like you could literally build your own Jedi as part of it if you want, instead of it being like this unique character goes through training. What if like it's centered around you get to make your Jedi. And so you get custom lightsabers and you go through like the whole thing as if you start as a Padawan there, there could be a lot of cool stuff you could do thematically, but also in terms of like chase alternate art options or, or whatever with that same thing yeah. with pod racing, like having a souped up cool pod racer would be really fun, right? Mm -hmm. No complaints. Um, so again, uh, thank you so much to everybody who participated in the poll. A new poll up every Sunday. You can check it out at, at Wampa Radio on Twitter 
and let us know what you think as part of the poll. Headlines this week are actually kind of light. There wasn't a whole lot unless I missed some stuff. I mean, we know, we have a um, another live stream coming up, I think, on the 20th. Uh, I could, I, I believe that is correct. Again, don't uh, don't hold my feet to the fire on that one. But I believe uh, that there wasn't anything groundbreaking this week. It's uh, some card reveals to uh, to talk about, as far as I know. Yeah, I don't think any charmer. Did you find anything on your radar and your long range scans in terms of news? I don't think so, right? No, as far as the news part goes, it is strictly just the reveals. I was trying to get some confirmation regarding the uh, streaming schedule. So you are correct. Mm-hmm. It is September 20th, uh, 1 p.m. CDT is our booster pack breakdown. I know that's one we're all very excited about. Yeah. And then a week, that is the product line overview on September 27th, again, 1 p.m. CDT. So we do have those coming uh, that is according to the uh, fantasyflightgames.com schedule. Perfect. But this week cool. it was just reveals. Yeah, so let's dive into those ones, and uh, I'll kick us off here. This one is a little bit meh. Uh, I'm not not over the moon about this one, but I think it's actually it's it's part of the game, baby. You need to sure you need, you need some upgrades. It is an upgrade called Resilient. It is a one cost uh, vigilance card. It's an upgrade plus zero on the attack but hey let uh let's get give that baby some back it's a plus three resilient it's an innate upgrade and this was revealed by crossworld tcg yeah i mean it's a it's a tcg basic right where it's like uh you have cards that buff the attack you have cards that buff the defense so here is our fairly standard one cost give something plus three defense um, seeing that this is vigilance, seeing all that, I kind of wonder, okay, are we going to see the aggression one that's one cost plus three power? That seems a bit stronger, actually, but uh, but then I don't know. I, I need to learn the dynamic of how things interact better, I guess, while I'm making these assumptions. But I don't know if there's anything wrong with this card, per se. I think it's a good basic thing to have in TCGs, especially if it's... I think it's a good tool for learning games, um, is what the card is for. I doubt we're going to see it in, like, a lot of competitive stuff, but um, I think you, you kind of need cards like this in a game, especially in, like, a first set situation. I look at this card and I get most excited when I think about draft, because in a draft oh, yeah. scenario where you are relying on your board to kind of compete, you're not going to have as much access to, you know, direct removal cards, you know, high-powered rares and legendaries, things like that. This could be a very cost-effective way, just one resource, you put it on a unit and then make a value trade. And it could also just be a, a real pain in the butt if you've got a big Sentinel unit to slap three extra health on it mid uh, exchange right because again it's back and mm. forth so if you've got a big sentinel they swing one unit into it and you know that their next action is to swing a second to finally get rid of it your response if you will is oh by the way it's got three more health so in, in terms of those like low power formats draft sealed deck etc i think that that's where this will really shine i'm so glad you keep bringing up limited because like i i have never in my entire like 20 plus card game year career like, I have never been a big limited fan. So, like, whenever I look at a card, I only look at it from, like, the constructed perspective. So I'm glad you keep bringing up limited because I keep forgetting that it's a thing. That, that's precisely where I went with this was limited. Um, at the one cost, there's almost – there's no downside to it. It's a one aspect, one cost. Even if this goes into a deck as filler where you're not playing Vigilance, you could play this as a three, no problem. And in the scenario that you're presenting, Charmer, where you're trying to – 
foil their plans as a as a sort of two-pronged approach to removing one of your big units it's a low cost answer to their plans it's going to cost you one resource to completely goon them on what they were thought they were going to be doing and even if you have to pay three for it i don't think that's a big deal i think that that's perfectly fine in a scenario like limited but i don't think that this is going to see that much play in uh, constructed but limited from what we understand is going to be a big focus for ffg so Mm. I'm gonna have to learn to like it, I guess. Yeah, you damn I'll well. I'll do my. I'll do my best. <laughs> we will turn I, you to the dark side. I've tried it. It's so many games that I've just never become a fan of limited formats. I. I don't know. Maybe I'm just bad at drafting. That's probably. That's probably the answer. We'll fix you. We will fix you. <laughs> uh, who, Can't wait. Uh, Doa, you want to get the next one? Yeah, sure. We've got. Uh, we've got a uh, command villainy character we have good old admiral piet that's right uh from uh of you know empire strikes back and uh also well no he was he was he dead by jedi because he's one of the admirals that got choked out by vader isn't he no that was nita sure piet piet nita. I oh you're right i'm yeah. thinking of nita anyway well, piet was there at uh the battle uh, uh above the moon of endor where everybody kind of surprised the rebel forces you know with the death star so hence his text uh, he's a 1-4, but each friendly non-leader unit that costs 6 or more gains Ambush. Uh, in case you forgot, after you play that unit, it may ready and attack an enemy unit. So that specifically is kind of saying your non-leader, uh, like Star Destroyers, your bigger ships, or potentially your big walkers or something on the ground, um, are going to get Ambush, which is which is kind of crazy. That's a, that is a, a lot of power that you will be suddenly swinging at your opponent or their units. So yeah, this, this could be a card that could, uh, could change the board state significantly if it's left around. This is the dude that brushed his teeth with an A-wing through the cock, through the uh, bridge of the oh, executive. Yeah. Remember? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. But beforehand he, uh, he did, he did surprise people successfully. I do like when this card. Stars, right? Sorry, go 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 ahead, Chummer. I, I was just gonna say when yeah. I saw this, the immediate first thought was ATST, right? Ambush. Mm. You can only attack a unit into a unit. So how do you get your value? Well, you attack with a giant unit that has overwhelm, and you run over somebody's one one oh, and still deal a bunch of damage to the base. So I, I feel like there's a lot of other uses as well, but that was where my mind went immediately. Was this is the ATST's best friend? And this dude's, either way, it's going to be either way. It's going to be strong. You know, he's only in take out. uncommon as well. Like yeah. th this is definitely a card that uh, what I'm beginning to see when it comes to these cards is that like a lot of the command uh, of the like, characters, not not like the aspect, but those who have had positions of command within the, the military have very they always connect with something, be it Akbar uh, or whatnot, like. Admiral Piet in this case, I think that this is a card that you're not dropping and then waiting. I think this is one that you might hold on to to pair up with what Charmer is saying. Like, hey, I'm going to play this. And if you don't have an immediate response, the follow-up is going to hurt really bad. Mm -hmm. This is not one that you just want to leave out to pasture. This is definitely a unit that you might have. Uh, it's part of a combo. It's it's like, okay, I'm gonna. my first action is drop Piet. My second action is, like Charmer said, drop the ATSD, drop a... Uh, Star Destroyer do something that is going to have a significant impact. It's uh, it's more of a surprise element because if this is left untouched, the game will, might get out of control for you. 
whereas it becomes sort of public enemy number one. You can't let this one fester. Yeah, it's strong in that it demands a response. And yeah, if you play it like on your, as soon as you get to resources, you're crazy, right? Because it's going to immediately get blown up. But like you said, if you hold it and wait for it, even if you can't play something that same turn, you can kind of throw your opponent's action phase plan off. If they're like, okay, well, now I got to find a way to deal four health of damage to this thing, um, you know, and kind of continue to try to do my hand. Because four health is not an insignificant amount of health in this game. It, it seems like that's that's kind of getting to the point where it's like a little bit tricky to handle it at, uh, you know, cleanly, right? So I think this will be a good guy to kind of like uh, drop the turn before you're going to throw things in there. If you can afford it with the big things, that's great. But that would be a very expensive turn. So I think that'll be uh, unlikely. So, you know, it's kind of one of those things where you throw it down and you're like, all right, well, now you're dealing with this. And if you don't, you're going to be in trouble. There's also some scenarios where you can use this as a development after your opponent seems to have used their resources for dealing with it. So uh, again, because of the back and forth nature, you know, if they only have one unit in the ground arena, for example, if they attack with that and then you answer by you develop Admiral, now they have to have an action or something to deal with them. Otherwise, mm -hmm. you get free reign. And I'll be honest, like on turn five, there's probably not a scarier turn than your opponent slapping down Admiral Piet and then saying, I take the initiative with their next action, right? Like, oh, gods, what is coming? <laughs> Why? Why? Uh... Why do they need the initiative? What am I getting myself into, right? Like there's that moment of panic that can set in. So I, I do think that the back and forth nature of the turn structure is also going to be interesting because you can sometimes sneak this in at the end of a turn if your opponent doesn't have an answer or they've expended everything that they've already done. This one, again, was revealed by Crossworld TCG, as was the next one, Charmer. Yeah, so the next card is Recruit. This is an event card. One cost in the command aspect uh, has the supply tag. And much like some of the other cards we've seen, this is a great command card for just digging through your deck. You search the top five cards of your deck for a unit, reveal it, and draw it. And then you put the other cards on the bottom of your deck in a random order. But this is a pay one to dig through 10% of your deck and then pick any unit and draw it. This is amazing because... It's not got to be any sort of vehicle or ship. It doesn't have to be a unique unit, space unit, or ground unit. It's literally, I just find what I need to find, and I draw it. And again, even if you are trying to find a combo piece, you know, we kind of covered this last week as well. Some of these cards where you're searching, if you don't find what you're looking for, you still got five cards deeper through your deck on the hunt. So this is going to be a great filter card. Okay. Yeah, it's one of those cards, too, where it's like if you get to a point in the game where you're like, I don't necessarily need to use this, can always just become a resource, too. So that's a, that's the one of the things I really like about this game that I'm looking forward to is that it gives you a way to sort of deal with cards if they become, you know, dead cards in your hand, right? If there's ever a card that just isn't useful for you anymore in, at some point in the game, make it a resource. I like it. This card is excellent. This card is both uh, draftable and constructed uh, and when you say 10% of your deck, it's more than that because you're keep in mind you're starting with cards in hand. So you're already, your decks, I think, I think, uh, what is it, seven cards that you start with? I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, then you put a resource in play. So your deck's like 42 cards or something like that by the time. Plus you draw up, you draw cards. So you're looking through 12 to 15% of your deck minimum when you, if you play this on turn one. And like you said, just looking for the, the card, if you don't see it, if you don't find out what you need, 
well, you just get that much closer. Any deck that is centered around um, a strategy that revolves around a big finish or a, 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 a like if the nucleus of your, your strategy is like, I just want a big Star Destroyer that's going to overwhelm and punish people or stuff like that, this is what you need because nothing hurts more than a strategy of like control and slow burn where you're trying to get to a particular piece and you have everything in a row ready to go and you just cannot find your big banger you cannot find that bomb to drop on the board and for one cost this is draftable this card is constructed playable this card i think is going to be in a lot of command decks for sure oh yeah oh just to clarify what you were talking about earlier you draw six cards and then you can uh, choose two to put them in as resources so it looks like you'll be starting the game a lot of times with four cards in hand and you draw two at the beginning yeah. of your turn right so yeah all right oh so, yeah that's true so you'll end up with six yeah yes okay. so about like six in hand two on the board so like 42 uh five out of 42 is uh some sort of uh weird space math oh no math yeah it's all good we don't have to do that math is for blockers R roughly the, one eighth the important piece though is that the card itself shows you 10 percent of your deck right like you get to look at five cards of your deck which is 10 percent sure. You might have seen more than 10% at that point. But sure. The card reveals to you 10% of your deck every time you use it. I, I uh, reach back to the Mensa comment I made, of which none of us knew what the hell we were talking about. <laughs> Listen, we, we just look it up. talk about the, the Mensa stuff, all right, outside of the meetings. If you don't go to the <laughs> Bohemian Grove, then you why, lose out. Why are you treating Mensa like it's Fight Club? <laughs> just, we don't talk um, about Mensa. Oh, God, you guys are just doing like all kinds of weird advanced like calculus, like shirtless and sweaty. It's like, uh, all right, you versus this problem. Uh, who wants to do the next hmm. one? Because I want to do I want to do the one after the next one. If oh, I'll do it. OK, I'll do it. I like I like, uh, you know, I, I like good guy stuff sometimes. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll talk about uh, Colonel Ularen, uh, who is a Imperial officer. So uh, I guess he's not really a good guy. I was thinking of somebody else, but he does not have the villainy aspect. Yeah, that's that's true. He is just an official, you know, and I, I don't remember him being I, don't, I have no idea what his flavor text was in the Decipher game. Hold on. Let's wait. Wait. Uh, I don't think uh, he had much of a lore box. This guy like let's find out. Maybe he did. Um, uh, he's he's got I'm looking it up. He kind of uh, he's got some Colonel Sanders vibes going. I on. I found there. it. Oh, okay. So um, I'll take back my earlier comment. He was uh, Imperial Security. Oh, he's ISB um, officer assigned to brief Tarkin. He was there to brief Tarkin. Also ordered to ensure absolute loyalty to the Emperor. Uh, leader will stop at nothing to fulfill the Emperor's will. Yeah, well. <laughs> and yet, no, no. Well, I'll have turned to the dark side. The I guess. best people, only the best people. <laughs> we have only the best colonels. Uh, anyway, when you play a command unit, uh, including this one, heal one damage to your base. There you go. Uh, so this can potentially give you a lot of uh, a lot of healing over time. He's two three, by the way, for two. Um, but yeah, you can you can theoretically bring your base back up um which is important because uh we're gonna have bases with less than 30 health as uh, we'll, we'll a little spoiler alert for uh, the next card we'll take a look at but either way yeah uh turning your command units into something that just heals your base for whenever you play it um you know i'm sure you can build around that in a certain way uh it might not be core to your strategy but 
then again, it might be uh, useful just to kind of stay alive a little bit longer, like you mentioned earlier, the flake, the grindiness. Stop laughing over there. I, I'm laughing because... Yeah, it happens to the best of us. Because he looks and is dressed like Colonel Sanders, and he's also a colonel, so <laughs> he's just the colonel now. That's it. That's true. <laughs> he is, in fact, the colonel. And the reason you heal is because he's feeding you chicken. <laughs> With all the you best know, dipping he, sauces. He is the imperial <laughs> chef, just making sure the front line is fed. Hey, he was partially responsible for turning Alderaan into an extra crispy location so <laughs> that's true <laughs> speaking I, I of did, good guys i'm so shocked that he doesn't have like the the villainy aspect and the reason that, that is I'm, a good i'm shocked question. is because he's like isb he's like the worst of the worst but also and i think this hmm. is the reason you probably thought he was a good guy is because when i look at this card i think he pairs very well with admiral akbar and home one because you can put him in those decks without any sort of uh, resource penalty because he's just command and yep. the healing your base is going to go well with the restore game plan that those two cards had anyway. So I totally understand why, you know, when you looked at this, you were like, well, it's the good guy because everything about the card feels like what we've seen on the quote unquote good guy cards up until this point. Thanks. It's very nice of you. Uh, I uh, he, he looked like General Dodona to me. So you know, usually the uh, the grandfatherly uh, looking types are usually friendly in these Star Wars things, or they're dark Jedi's, I guess. But uh, that's that's a whole different piece of Star Wars media. Hey, pour one out to Balin Skull, who's like very very rapidly becoming one of my favorite favorite characters. The dude is just what a great character, and what a what a tragedy that we're, our time with him is limited. Yeah, that's series. what kills yeah. me. I, I love the character. I'm actually really hoping that this is the first time they book the trend. I had this weird mm. uh, epiphany the other day where I said to myself that uh, when it comes to, you know, science fantasy is what I like to call Star Wars, sci-fantasy. Sure. Um, the red lightsaber is just our generation's black hat for Westerns, right? Like mm. if you have a red lightsaber, you're just supposed to be bad. And yeah. really, when you think about you know, our new best friend here, other than that he shows up with a red lightsaber and that he is, seems to be like the antagonist, like that's it. Like that's all we have to go on. He very well could be somebody who is working toward a greater good. Like he continues to say he is. I actually suspect he's a gray Jedi and not like a true Sith Lord. Um, well, he's not Sith. Yeah. Yeah. You um, would say like dark Jedi or fallen Jedi, you know, well, where he's like, he was a Jedi that, you know, left essentially well either had to flee the order or left the order willingly and became a mercenary and then you know he clearly cares about other force users you know he doesn't want to kill anyone if he doesn't have to yeah i but, I, I think you know. i think that's why i just leaned toward I, I really hope that they explain that he is a gray jedi and they finally introduce that in a more direct like canon reference um they covered I mean, it like if you, if you played like Star Wars The Old Republic, there's like a side yeah. quest line on it and things like that. And I just always loved the concept of them that they were just, you know, somebody that didn't really believe that you had to be all or nothing, right? Like the, you know, the forces and everything. And that means it's in, you know, the good and then the bad and the light side and the dark side are kind of one in the same. And it, well, it's I mean, all. A lot of characters in Ahsoka, are, to get way off track here, a lot of characters in Ahsoka are kind of in the gray area, right? You know? Yeah. Uh, I don't want to spoil too much because, uh, you know, we don't know how uh, how far our viewers have watched into the series. But, uh, you know, there's, there's there's evidence on both sides that, you know, people are not going to stick 100% into one, into either the good guy or the bad guy camp, right? 
So bringing us back to Colonel Wolf Yularen. I keep saying Wolf. I almost that's pressed the name. button. I almost pressed the button. Uh, <laughs> we got we got close. But anyway, he's he's a good card. He uh, he heals things. He's just an uncommon too. So I think this is uh, kind of a couple strong uncommons that we're seeing out of this uh, batch of of uh, command cards. I like this card. I think that this card is going to be a staple within that command sort of control list, like with the Akbar mm. with Home One. And you're right; it is it is going to feel weird when you have Akbar next to your Laren and potentially. I mean, potentially like Tarkin and stuff like these are all possibilities. Yeah. And this is what I love about this game is that what Star Wars CCG did was you have a light side deck and you have a dark side deck. And the the game is essentially dictated. Your deck building restrictions are based on the color of the of the back of the card. There's the card the, backs are different. Precisely. Yep. Exactly. Yep. And this is different. And this is so damn good. So damn good. Uh, I also want you to know, mention, sorry, really quickly, okay. th this is uh, this was revealed by What a Piece of Junk. So cheers to them, What a Piece of Junk. Love that name. They're talking about my Corolla. It's amazing. And here you go. <laughs> I, you know, I, I will say, I, I will bring a little bit of a counterpoint in that this is one of the things that uh, I, I'm l a little bit less thrilled about with the game is that you can have decks that have... You know who would you know normally be mortal enemies in the in the same deck fighting on the same side and all that. Like, I I understand uh, why that has to be with the way that the game is constructed mechanically, but it it makes me a little bit uncomfortable. I'm not the I'm not the hugest fan of the fact that I can have you know Tarkin and Akbar in the same deck, right? Or you know. Colonel Yularen or uh, you know General Dodona or whatever in the same deck. Like I don't know. I'm I'm not I'm not. Maybe I'm too much of a, a purist with this kind of thing, but I'm not a huge fan of that element of it. Get over it, Doa. I have to get over it, but I just you know I had to say it too. What do you have against the Colonel? <laughs> um, against the Colonel, nothing really. I guess. <laughs> yeah. right. Seems well, like a good card. Great chicken. Let, let's go to the next one. We got a base. Again, the community decided, when, and whenever, it's funny, whenever FFG is like, hey, what do you guys want to see? Base always wins. And I'm really <laughs> liking this because it's not, yeah. it's not a sexy pick out of everything else. It's just something that a lot of people are like, dude, this is going to basically uh, dictate how we're building decks and strategies and such. And I think that that's why people want this because they, they want to start theory crafting. They want to, they want to build around stuff. So we have the energy, con uh, energy conversion lab. It is a command base rare. It is a 25 health, uh, location on Yadu. The Epic action says, play a unit that costs six or less from your hand. Give it ambush. So this is, is this cheating a six cost out of your deck or do you have to pay for it? So it's funny you mentioned that because I believe you are still going to need to pay for it. Um, the only hmm. cards in the game where you lose the reminder text so far really seem to be bases for some reason. Uh, we don't have the reminder text for shield tokens on the other base that was revealed to you, grant a shield token, for example. This one, I think, is just missing the reminder text because I think this is going to function very similar to Admiral Ozzel. Admiral Ozzel lets you play yep. an Imperial unit from your hand, but then it says paying its cost, right? Yeah. I think that this is just saying once per game, you know, you can play something, but also give it ambush because that in and of itself is just a really powerful effect. And being able to play, you know, something like 
if if you were able to cheat, then turn one you could drop like Gladiator Star Destroyer, for example, and give it ambush. And so so no. Well, that's worth a lot more than just like five health off your base. That's my point. I think giving something ambush once is relevant enough and that feels correct to me. I, I really just want to, I don't have much to say about this again. Uh, I just love seeing the bases, but what I want people before they start saying it of saying a vanilla base or a no ability base, don't look at it that way because plus five health in itself is an ability. And I and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go on the record as saying that that plus five health for those thirty health bases, some people are gonna play that because they're gonna take it as hey this my ability is just having a higher a higher thing so um, I hmm I think people will play those bases until another base with those same with that same aspect becomes available that has a, a different ability unless the ability is really bad I think it's more about the aspect than the than the ability sometimes. So here's what I love about what they have done in terms of design space, because I agree with you until we also start having it matter what planet your base is on. I do think that the plus five health and oh. the planet location has the potential to play uh, a part in your decision, right? We Good might point. have a quote unquote vanilla 30 health base, but if it's the only one with a certain planet and it interacts with stuff, I think that could be very relevant later. I hope it is. I really hope that because uh, I mean, I I would imagine they're putting it on the card because they plan on utilizing it. So yeah, that would be awesome. That would, I hadn't thought of that. That's great. That's an extra layer to to interaction and all that kind of stuff. I think that's brilliant. Yeah. I think that it's it's even if they don't touch it in this set. And honestly, I hope that they. I kind of hope that they don't. There's so much to explore already. I think that if you have too much, uh, or or too few of too many things you're not really getting the feel of a particular deck and the archetypes are going to kind of feel a little bit wonky. Um, I think that, you know, maybe set two is something along the lines of like, all right, now we're going to start exploring characters and and they're, they're like, I want a Yoda that is, if your base is Dagobah, he gives, you know, he has a bit like a mm. bigger, better thing because it's not just the units. It's also the leader. If you have like, if your leader is Yoda and your base is Dagobah, like, dude, like, there's got to be a, a situation where his whole ability is, like, if your home base is Dagobah, do X, Y, Z, or something like that. And I think that that is definitely going to be a significant portion of future card design. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to be, it's just there for, you know, we might see a little bit of it in this set. But I'm sure more than anything, it's there just to give them that option. That is true. Do you remember uh, where Yadu fits into the, the Star Wars universe? Do you, do you know this bit of trivia? Do you recognize that location? I'll, I'll test you here. Uh is Either he, one of you can answer without looking it up. I see you. I see you looking at different windows, Flake. Are you? No, no. Are you I'm looking, looking at the up? card. Oh, okay. I'm looking at the card. Yeah, <laughs> okay. I have my show notes next to me, like a good podcaster. Uh, sure, sure. I see that. Is this where he fought? Uh, fought um, uh, Jango Fett. Where where Obi Wan fought Jango Fett? No, no. That was Camino. That yeah, was the cloning. It was Camino. Oh, yeah. yeah. Do you do you know the answer, Charmer, or or should I? Um, it's a bit more uh, of a, it's a little bit of an obscure one. Yeah, I, I am currently drawing a uh, blank. I'll be honest. Right. So this is the landing platform where uh, Galen Urso meets his fate in uh, Rogue One. Uh, this right. is the, the energy conversion lab where they're testing out. Uh, I think they're testing kyber crystals to see if they can kind of build the super laser, that kind of thing. So yep. 
That is, uh, this is from Rogue One, yeah. Oh, this is where my boy Orson Krennic says, uh, gather all the engineers, I have an announcement to make, and then he mm-hmm. executes all of them. That was a yeah. scary scene. I was on edge during that, that scene, for sure. Hence hence the ambush mechanic being part of this location, because uh, both Galen Urso uh, was, you know, essentially ambushed by his scientists being killed in front of him, by uh, Krennic, and uh, the, they were all ambushed by uh, when the, by the rebels when uh, when they showed up. Oh. So there you go, thematically appropriate. Hats off to you, FFG. Way to go! Final fight. <laughs> I mean, Final Fantasy. I mean, Fantasy Flight. Uh, I mean, Fatal Fury. All right, so I'm gonna throw this one out here because I know that the last card. I think that Charmer is a big fan of of this dude. I, I am, yeah. I'm so excited for the last one. All right, so so Doa, how about you do the next one? We'll let Charmer have... Uh... Okay, sure. Well, let's just keep the Rogue One theme going here with the uh, with the Death Trooper. Death, death Trooper? Death, death Rooper. Trooper. Death Rooper. <laughs> Doth Rupert. All right, his He's name so is... He's so his friendly. Na- his name is Das Rupert now. Doth Rupert, yeah. <laughs> it's not my best day. Anyway, three cost for a vigilance villainy uh, death trooper, um, imperial trooper three three. When played, this is kind of interesting. Deal two damage to a friendly ground unit and two damage to an enemy ground unit. So uh, they're just kind of shooting all over the place. But if you've got things with grit, if you've got Krennic out there, when your units get damaged, they get uh, extra power. This uh, this card can work quite well and synergize quite well with some of the things we've seen revealed already. So uh, kind of neat. You do want to damage your own units from time to time in the game. The grit is the first thing that came to mind as well. Um, not to mention, if there's nothing on the board, you can just damage yourself. And if it takes out something, I think that's perfectly fine. But you're right. You want to any self-wounding deck in every game possible. You basically have an archetype that ba- wants to be wounded. That gets bonuses when they take damage. It's uh, it's been around uh, the Skellige faction, and Gwent did this very well. Uh, there's mm. a Warrior in Hearthstone does this very well as well. Um, the Enrage mechanic in uh, Magic. I uh, remember playing Dinos in like Ixalan. They did that very well as well. But uh, I really like this card. I think that, uh, you know, I, I even as a draftable option, the only thing that turns me off of this card is that it's double, it's uh, double aspect. So I would probably mm. pass it. But I think that it's a fair card to to look at for sure. Yeah, it uh, does kind of narrow it down where you can fit it in. But you know, with some maybe solo vigilance kind of stuff, there's 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 options there, I guess. I was going to say that I could see in limited still paying five for this. This is potentially removal on a body. And so yeah. even with the three, three for three stat line, being able to potentially nuke something is a big deal. Like this is at the common position. This is, uh, I think, very, very good. Yeah, I'm just looking through some of the other cards that have been revealed just to kind of refresh my mind a little bit. And you do have uh, rugged survivors for uh, for five for a three, five. They have grit. Um, and so, and they're only vigilance, so you could fit them fairly easily in a deck that uh, that can tr- that uh, contains this card. So, yeah, there's there's already a little bit of stuff been revealed that can work with this. This one was revealed by the Garbage Rollers, which is another nickname for my Corolla. Incredible, the Garbage <laughs> Roller. Uh, all right, Charmer, hit us with the last one. All right, I'm I'm very excited for this. This one was revealed by Holocron Gaming. This is Agent. Callus, and it's interesting that the kind of like subtitle is Seeking the Rebels, and I'll talk about why in a moment. But Agent Callus is a five cost ground unit in just command. 
has a 4-4 stat line, is listed as an Imperial Trooper, but he has Ambush, as well as when another unique unit is defeated, you may draw a card, use this ability only once each round. So it's a 4-4 likely removal on a body. You're going to ambush and crash into something. Probably draws you a card. Let's be honest, there's a lot of named unique cards in Star Wars, so finding a target should not be difficult. But the reason that I really like this card, even though it says Seeking the Rebels, even though he's portrayed as Imperial Trooper, this one being just command and not having villainy is, I think, a nice call out to his time as you know, a double agent, right? As Fulcrum with the Rebels. And I can absolutely see this card seeing a lot of play in any command deck, whether, again, you're heroism or villainy focused. I think that it's just a really powerful effect. I think, uh, yeah. I mean, the 4-4 with Ambush is already pretty decent. Uh, it's It could act as a four-point removal if necessary. But beyond that, just the fact that you it if you crash this into a unique unit and you trade with it, you're replacing the card and you're getting a card back in hand. Card draw, like you both know, like everybody out there knows, and or who's if you're new to card games, let me tell you, card draw is your lifeblood. It is, it is so important. It is so huge that it, it means options. It means solutions. So any card that draws cards is already already gets an eye i i've only finished watching the first couple seasons of rebels so uh so charmer just majorly spoiled me uh right right now you're telling me that callus is is fulcrum no no we didn't say that what no, he no. becomes because i i there was that one episode where he's like you know he kind of gets along with um Zeb? What's his face? Zeb, yeah, yeah, Zeb, right. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, you know, and, and you could tell he's gaining respect for the rebels and how they keep escaping over the, the episodes and all that. But see, it's kind of inevitable that he's gonna become a good guy anyway. But but there you go. I guess he I guess he really does. Uh I, I ruined it for you. Carabast. I need oh, Carabast wow. to be a car. Isn't that a Pokemon? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That does it for this round of uh card leaks and spoilers as such again thank you to everybody for their uh, hard work in in allowing us to see these cards we're we're hungry for more as always now the main dish of this episode is digital clients we got a question yes last week as it were that we answered uh and i think that it definitely deserves a greater conversation because digital clients are almost come part and parcel now or they did in my in my opinion i feel like there's this new renaissance of paper TCGs and almost yeah. like a a a aversion to wanting a digital client alongside these new card games that come up. Because we we discussed this new golden age of card games. There's so many of them cropping up. But beforehand, it was just there was always a new digital card game. Every six months there was a new option, but now it's a paper card game. So where do we stand on digital clients in relation to Star Wars? you specifically who wants to kick off this tasty nugget doa does i know he uh, does, so i'm gonna let him sure i'll go all right well so i have i have kind of mixed feelings about it on the one hand i i'm a paper purist why play a collectible card game if you don't want to sit across the table from your opponent and and play you know in flesh and blood uh pun very intended um, so, you know, the digital clients are, are nice and certainly during the pandemic, they were, they were useful to have. Right. And I, I played tons of Hearthstone. I casted years of Hearthstone. 
Um, so I, I have no problem participating in a digital card game. But at the end of the day, I want to play in paper. That's how I choose to interact with card games if I can. Like, there are, uh, you know, fan versions of paper card games out there in a digital sense, like Talishar for Flesh and Blood. I have not played a single game on that platform because I refuse to. And I think from the competitive standpoint, you can argue that playing on a platform like that can do things like um uh, enforce bad habits that you have in your play if you're just jamming game after game you're not really thinking about things uh you know as opposed to going and playing in an afternoon in a week and then thinking about your games i feel like you you gain more that way or playing with people where you can talk to them right away instead of some you know faceless rude person on the internet um but so so i like paper but that said there are games that I think have done the paper and digital together very well. Uh, the one that jumps to my mind is Pokemon, in that when you buy a physical pack of the game, you also get a digital pack, essentially. Uh, there was a card game that nobody played called uh, Warhammer Champions, uh, and uh, that game, uh, which was pretty good, actually, but uh, but that game as well, like, you would have to... It was a bit tedious, but the edge of every card art uh, had, like, was essentially a QR code, so you'd use the app and your phone to scan the card, and then you would get that card in the digital version of the game. Um, so I, I like it when the physical and the digital uh, games interact with each other. I don't like things like Magic the Gathering has, where you essentially have to rebuy your cards if you want to play the digital version. So uh, if you, we take Magic Arena as the worst-case scenario for interaction between, you know, paper and uh, and digital, and you have something like uh, Pokemon or that Warhammer game that I mentioned that are the most generous, uh, you know, and easy-to-interact-with to versions, um, you know, I, I just don't want to see them going in the Magic direction. I What I want to see them do more than anything is just go paper and say, we're not going to worry about the digital version. It's not good for local game stores. Um, you know, it, it doesn't bring people together like a card game should, you know, that, that's, that's what I hope their take is going to be on it. But that said, if they do a digital version, which, you know, there's a lot of reasons to do it. I just hope they do it in a way that's not, you know, predatory on their, their fans. Right. So that's, there you go. Thanks for coming to my Ted talk. That's the, it. The greed <laughs> aspect is always going to be the toughest one to, to sort of circumvent when, because I mean, we don't have a say in, in that kind of stuff. Now, look, I, I kind of lean a little bit towards what you're talking about Doa, but I also have a lot more free time and accessibility to playing this kind of stuff. I mean, this is sure. my career, but it's not even just the fact that I have free time because it's my career. I'm also in a city of you know five or six million people where there's constantly options for me to play so i'm also trying to absorb this from the perspective of everybody else who might not have those kinds of outlets and one of the difficult most difficult things for me to hear from the flesh and blood community of which i'm so intimately linked is when they tell me that's like hey i i can't play i i like you know, thank God for Talishar because our we don't have armories that fire. Like there's three of us that show up, mm. and we're passionate, and we end up playing. But we it's and it's not because the game is unpopular in my state or country or region. It's because my little neck of the woods, what I have within reach, is just not. It's just not there. So, mm. what my initial thought about this is that I want them to do it, but I want them to do it responsibly like you said where in pokemon you get a pack you get a pack you, you know like you're not you're not having to make a decision you're not you're not having to pay twice as much to go home and play on this particular platform i think that pokemon has it the right idea if you buy a booster pack 
you get a QR code to play. And you could and the fun part about that is you could go on like eBay and buy a stack of a hundred of those codes for like twenty or thirty dollars and have a hundred packs online and, and not have to pay the prices that they have on these kinds of things. Because there are people who you know, perhaps like you do, who are like, I don't care about the digital client. I'm going to play in, in person. So now I have, I bought a case of these cards. I have a hundred of these codes. I could flip this for like 50 bucks, recover some of it. And somebody on the other side of the world who gets these codes is going to be super happy to have that as their option as well. So I'm thinking of it from the more, from the merit side of what a digital client can do. But I also know that there's a lot of bad stuff too. It can be done well. Um, yeah, that's my only hope. If they do it, you know, do it, do it well. You can still make money. Just, uh, you know, you know, work, work with your community, you know? I don't think they can make money. I, really? I am, hear, hear me out. I am very against digital clients when the game has a, a physical counterpart because the only way you can make money is by being predatory. And I don't want to see that happen. I also don't think that when a game is just a launching, you can get away with it because you will kind of disincentivize people to show up locally and build a community. And it's very clear that FFG wants you to come and just hang out, be part of the community. That's why they're putting that, you know, casual emphasis on, hey, you get the participation stuff if you just show up and, you know, teach new players or build decks or whatever. You don't even need to play to be considered participating. And if I can play, uh, you know, digitally, even if it's five minutes down the road, but like I don't want to change out of my pajamas or whatever, then I might just do that, right? So you're not incentivizing people to come out. But the reason I say I don't think that you can make money is, you know, much like you two, I've covered physical card games and I've covered a lot of digital card games. And some of the ones I've covered uh, did not make it as a business. The Elder Scrolls Legends, Artifact, Mythgard, I've, I've got a bunch of them. And one of the reasons that they didn't make it is because digital card games are actually pretty expensive to develop and maintain. It doesn't seem like it because, of course, it's not like your AAA whatever video game development thing. But there's a lot of mechanics that need to work, right? Mm. When you're releasing sets every year, that's a lot of updates. And so when you think about, you know, Fantasy Flight saying, I want, you know, three sets a year, that's three sets a year that need to be coded, QA tested. You have to ensure all that stuff works in the client. And then there's also the matchmaking stuff. And part of the reason that I'm kind of uh, anti having the digital side is that it, it doesn't mirror your in-person experience, not just because you don't get to make friends and be part of the community, but also because grinding on a digital ladder is not the same as going to a local armory or Friday night magic. It's not the same as going to uh, a grand prix or a calling, right? None of the tournament experiences online have ever very well mimicked what an in-person experience is like. And I don't see how you can really pull it off at that same scale. And also you lose out on things like local metas as well. You lose out mm. on, um, you know, the joy of finding those chase cards. Because again, you, you talk about the coding side, right? One of the reasons I hate MTG Arena is that not only can I you know, not mimic my collection, but when I'm getting things, I can't trade. And if you want to implement trading, that's another big systemic overhaul, right? That was supposed to be the appeal to Artifact, for example. We all know what happened there. So I just don't feel like the benefits 
which would be convenience, right? You can play whenever you want, which would be accessibility. I do feel for the people who live in remote areas. I don't think those benefits outweigh the costs, both in terms of costs to the business, costs to the local player bases, and costs to the player experience, personally. Um, sure. Don't get me wrong, I, I would play a digital client if it was there. I just am not convinced that it's the right move. I think I, I agree with everything you're saying, except there's one thing that we have to put as an asterisk with, with this particular game, is that it's Star Wars. Like yeah. uh, all the games that you talked about failing, like those are not big intellectual properties compared to Pokemon and Star Wars, which I think are, you know, like Pokemon, I would say is the most successful digital and, uh, you know, paper card game. And in that client, you know, you can still buy extra packs if you want. So if there's someone that wants to just engage digitally, they can do that and keep building their collection and things. But you can have that sort of ma marriage of, of paper and digital. I totally agree that you don't do it right away, for sure. But uh, and I agree with everything you say about the cost, the upkeep being a lot more than people uh, expect it is. But uh, if there's any intellectual property that can support something like this working, uh, it's definitely Star Wars. So I, I think it's entirely possible to make a profitable digital version of this game. But I'm 100% with you as well that it should not be something that happens right away. And, you know, maybe not for a year or two, you know. Yeah, no, you're, you're spot on about that. Because the worst thing that can happen is that on launch day, everybody just stays home. You know, like everybody's just like great i can't wait uh, they would the, never release it right with launch yeah. no no not a million years no no but it, i mean that is like the the gravest of sort of uh of circumstances if, if they do sort of have this parallel launch of the two of a client plus the paper because the other thing about this is like again uh we all know this whole culture of we're streamers so we're going to have early access we're going to have all that other swag and stuff like that but if we're talking about the not just the merits the merits again being accessibility it's probably going to be more cost efficient for the most part but the detriment to the game itself is, uh, you know, if it's accessible, what's the incentive of leaving the house, of going to actually engage in these uh, communities that are, are creating tournaments and, and, and that kind of stuff? And like you mentioned, too, the trading aspect. Like, the trading aspect's great. I can't, like you said, I can't pull cards out of the computer screen and turn them into stuff that i want one of the, my biggest uh, you can do it in pokemon you could well no not anymore you can't do it anymore oh, you can't trade in pokemon anymore? not anymore not anymore the really new, the new client wow. uh has taken away they take that away? i think it's because a lot of people were gaming that system from what i understand um and trust me i play a lot of that client now because apparently that's my new obsession i don't know why <laughs> uh i've i have a i know I've, I've been seeing that i have the toronto regionals coming up in like six weeks <laughs> i'm like freaking out over but the, the that whole thing is that I lost my train of thought, but the merits Trading. versus the detriment. The detriment to mm. me is not just that it's going to keep people at home, not just that you can't trade your wares and do that kind of stuff, but also the meta is going to suck really fast. One of the biggest hallmarks of Flesh and Blood and why it, and, and why it's so cool without having a digital client is because the meta in madrid is different than the meta in toronto is different than the meta in auckland and is different than the meta in warsaw they are all completely different if you go take mm -hmm. a look at all the different nationals championships that went down there was 44 national championships that occurred last in the past three weeks okay every single top eight is completely different there are 
strong decks that obviously bubble up, but it's all dependent on what the hell's going on in your region. And that is a huge attractive element to competitive a competitive scene in star wars because in reality we're moving up to worlds uh the world championships of flesh and blood and everybody we just came off of 44 national champions and people still have no freaking idea what the hell is going on because now everybody's going to meet up in barcelona and everybody's going to be there being like i have to worry about the Spaniards. I need to worry about the Pol- like the the Polish team. I got to worry about the Americans. Like this, these are genuine conversations, and they're all meta oriented. It's great, yeah, yeah. Which which brings us full circle to say uh, we don't really want a digital version. <laughs> if you do one, Star Wars is one of the few properties where you could probably make a successful, profitable one. But we really don't need it per se. So need is a dangerous yeah. word. But again, I think that, I mean, when I was like heavily involved and intimately involved with Gwent, one of the downfalls about it was that they just were not willing to invest the money and uh, to, to create more cards because by their own admission, art was exceptionally expensive, but they're already paying for the art for this. So I'm wondering how that cost translates to taking a card that you've already paid the art for. I wonder if you have to pay the artist more. Uh, obviously, oh, because, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure the contract that they sign for the freelance artists say, you know, we get to use this image for whatever we want. Yeah, I would yeah. be shocked if the contract didn't include that. It, so I don't think that so would be a problem. Much, uh, I don't think it's so much that as much as it is like if you're trying to do the right thing, where you pay once and you get a digital pack and you get a real pack, for example, then you're essentially saying we're going to be taking on the entire cost of creating, developing, and maintaining this digital client with no extra income outside of packs that people would buy because of the digital client only, right? Because mm-hmm. the other people, they're buying their packs and then they they get the digital part essentially for free. But if I was going to buy the physical pack anyway, then the business makes no additional money, right? So you kind of have to do that cost-benefit analysis of saying, if we had a digital client, how many more people would buy packs just because of the existence of the client? And is that enough to support and maintain and do all that? And I'm, again, Star Wars, it might be there, but I'm not convinced that it's enough and worth the hassle because that's also all of those additional employees, all of the QA testing. There's, you know, already a big team. We know uh, bigger than most for Fantasy Flight Games working on this game, but not one where they're talking about like handling all of that development as well. Like that's a yeah. whole new resource. Yeah. I mean, I think we're kind of talking in circles a little bit at this point, but, uh, but you know, I, I think it all distills down to, you know, yeah. Could it work? Maybe. Do we want it? Not especially, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens down the road. I suppose. It is worth noting that there are for a lot of the card games that are very successful right now, like flesh and blood, one piece, Lorcana, there are that, that don't have official clients. There are third-party, what are called rule enforcement platforms that allow you to play the game, essentially. Uh, There's Mm. always tabletop simulator. There's always felt table. There's always options. However, um, the stance of the developer, in this case, Fantasy Flight Games, is always interesting because they don't, in their minds, they're like, well, do we acknowledge it? Do we just let it go? Because in reality, it's good for the game. It's good for the growth of the game. And what's fascinating to me is that in the earliest stages of Talishar for Flesh and Blood... James White, who created Flesh and Blood, his stance on it was essentially, as long as it's not making money 
and more importantly, as long as it's not replacing tournaments and and taking away from what players would have otherwise done. If it's not if it's not if it's an and scenario and not an or scenario, we're fine with it. If people have to choose between Talishar and playing in person, then we might have to get involved. But uh mm. there's already things like this, like felt table and all these other things exist. And um we shall see. But I think is it a unanimous don't do it from all three of us? I think it's it, it feels pretty unanimous to me. Uh, I I will add that uh, on the on the felt table tabletop simulator type stuff. Uh, I did get into Flesh and Blood by trying it out on Tabletop Simulator first, because uh, I had I was like, well, I don't know if I want to like put money into this game, but I'll play you know a couple games for an hour with a friend, and I was like, this game is amazing, and since then I've spent lots of money on the game, so it certainly can be a conduit to get people into it. So yeah, I don't think it's something you just shut down right, you know, straight up. But you have to you have to keep an eye on it if you're the company for sure. But. I I'm a no for the mental health of the folks at Fantasy Flight Games. <laughs> I'm saying if you, if you make it, I will play it, but don't don't do it just because of that. Save yourself the headache. I I'm worried about them. <laughs> mm. What a what a change it has been where digital was just the way to do it. And suddenly it's just, nah, dude, put me at a table across from somebody. Let me play the game. And I'm all for it, baby. We're back. Bell bottoms are I'm back, with, baby. I'm, it's I'm a real thing, man. Digital, too. I just, I don't think that you should do both. I, I don't know why, but if I you feel like. Do, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I feel like trying to do both is creating more problems than it is solutions for any yeah. given company. Pick something and be good at it, right? So the digital games, uh, like I love Legends of Runeterra. It's still a fantastic digital card game, and it does those things well. And I yeah. don't want to see a physical one, right? Like I just, I want you to do that thing well. Well, if a if a card if a good if a card game is good in a digital sense, it's doing things that cannot be replicated in a physical sense. So that's that's kind of the thing. It's like if you're gonna make a digital card game, you have to go all out, right? You have to do all sorts of stuff to make it uniquely, you know, working in that digital space. And like, so yeah, you you know, you can't bring the cards from Legendary Terror or Hearthstone into the real world. Otherwise, you have to have like stacks of random things and all this stuff you would never be able to do it you know so uh so yeah i, I don't think it's worth it well you know what happens charmer yeah. when when you get a transmission and chopper just his little antenna starts buzzing about and he gets an incoming urgent message from fulcrum what do you say to that i know i know that you want me to do this transition but i need you to know that chopper is not going to have a bad feeling he has no feelings he is a machine of war he only feels but, rage, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but a normal person would say, <laughs> I have a bad feeling about this. I got a bad feeling about this. I have a bad feeling about this. I've got a bad feeling about it. Hey. Quiet. Whoa. All right, another transition to our bad feeling mailbag. And we have a couple great great submissions this week which we very much appreciate if you want to submit something to the bad feeling mailbag you can do so tweet at us at wampa radio um you know discord messages our email is uh, wampa radio podcast at gmail.com there's plenty of ways to get in touch with us we read them all we appreciate them all so who wants to take the first stab i am looking at you charm baka hopeful dino asks do you think it is a miss to not include written lore on the cards? Will it be included in future sets 
just thinking of the recently spoiled resilient card that has no effect in a blank text box. Thanks and love the podcast. Well, thank you. And we love you too. Oh, we all have opinions on this because there is nothing. I, I, I don't know how many Star Wars trivia kind of matches I have won purely off the back of the lore boxes from Star Wars CCG. How else? <laughs> Same. How yes. else are you going to yes. know that the colonel himself uh, is 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 tasked with bringing, you know, absolute rigid loyalty to the emperor amidst his ISB agents? How else are you going to know, uh, you know, all kinds of other silly, weird nonsense? Yeah. Like like uh, the anti-personnel laser cannon uh, has no stun setting. Apparently. Oh, see, there you go. There you go. Wouldn't know that without the lore box. Uh, yeah. I will say this. I, I'm, I understand why they wouldn't do it because you can't put it on everything. It's much like the flavor text on magic cards and flesh and blood cards. Not all of them have it, but it does feel weird when a card like resilience has absolutely nothing going on, but the rent, right? It's just there. And mm. um, the thing about it is that star Wars kind of spoiled us because of what you, you mentioned last week, Doa was that they just got free reign to just put whatever the hell they wanted there. Right. Like Apparently they did, yeah. Just to, to recap, the old Star Wars CCG with Decipher, they they asked what they should put in the lore box, and and the story goes, you know, whether it's it's you know scientifically confirmed or not, but the story goes from people who were making at the time that Lucasfilm just said, ah, write whatever you want, you know? So they got to establish a lot of uh, canon lore, you know, from that. I don't know how canon it is now, but, you know, canon to us at least. So on the subject of, of flavor text, uh, I mean, you look at like, the Alliance X-Wing, you look at the the TIE Fighter, like, that's a lot of empty space on some of those cards, and it, it doesn't look great. Death Star Stormtrooper is another one. Yeah, it just, it honestly doesn't look great, you know, on a card. Um, and have there been cards with blank boxes in the past? Sure. Hundreds of them across tons of different games. You know, that's not, it's not a new thing to have that. But at the same time, the, the lore is kind of nice to have there. It's nice to have that little extra thing to read. On the other hand... Thinking about it from the, you know, company side of things, if I'm going to put lore stuff on my cards, that's a whole new level of a huge task for somebody to do, getting it all approved, which would be a, a, a kind of a massive nightmare with a, an intellectual property like Star Wars, because there's a lot of hoops with that. So that does add a significant amount of, of uh, you know, person hours to the development of the game to add that. And so I kind of get avoiding it um you know and and who knows you know maybe we'll get it eventually but i i understand why that would be lower on the priority list and i agree with that from a development standpoint but <clears throat> it is it is fun to have so i hope it is something that they get to include in future sets down the road you know there are two additional things i'd like to add to that i for one would love to have it because i think it's fun and just like you guys it was one of my favorite things from the old decipher game but the other two reasons why I think they might have shied away from it beyond just the additional development and approval and everything else is that one, uh, I have noticed in this game, they do a very good job of trying to ensure that the card explains the card. So they go out of their way with reminder sure. and adding additional, you know, flavor text with more italics might confuse folks when they're already trying to do such a good job with with that. The other thing that stands out to me is that the cards that do have the blank boxes, if I'm being honest, are kind of the more boring cards, right? So the cards that I would personally want lore on are the ones that have filled text boxes anyway. Like how many 
different lore pieces do I need for a TIE fighter or an X-Wing? Like, it would be fun, and I, w I wouldn't be upset at it, but, like, is that something that I really need, or would I have been more excited, you know, for a lore bit on a card that's got a full text box anyway? It sounds like an administrative nightmare because of what you said, Doa. Like, because what if you're... What if you just... Like, what if you're so damn sure that what you're putting on there is accurate, but... Mm -hmm. uh, but it, it but it's not but it, but like or things change or you know i think that the fact that disney kind of acquired stuff um they they just have full control and they you don't mess with the mouse man like they will they will just have a, a firm grip on it to answer the question like it, how do i feel about it i mean i think that it's it's definitely lacking but i think it was just because we're all so spoiled from star wars ccg lore boxes which were exquisite they were so deep there was so much it was going... a different time as they it say it was a different time yeah. yeah yeah so but again this is the world we live in now where disney owns most everything and uh if you put on there like even if it's tie a tie fighter right it's like oh you know the the solar panels like you know blah 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 twin ion engine whatever well what if they change that or what if there's something that they're planning the amount of stuff that you'd have to run by them and mm. and make sure that you are on the like it would probably delay everything by a bajillion well, years just I can't I can't imagine trying to do that now and trying to go through all the like accuracy checks I would need to, you know, to prevent like a billion nerds online from being like, oh, the E-Web Blaster actually uses a four cell power pack and not a three point five cell like it says in the card. You know, like I wouldn't I that sounds like the most annoying thing in the world to me as a as someone who's trying to make a game to have to like verify all that stuff. So, you know, I would love to see it on the cards, like I said, but I totally I totally get not wanting to go anywhere near that. <laughs> yes. screw that noise but hey we yeah. love you too hopeful dino thank you for the submission yes. i uh, to be clear i would be that nerd making those tweets so you know i i know that would happen because i would be that guy i knew that impression sounded a little bit too on point <laughs> that's, that's my real voice i, I let i let it slip through for a second there <laughs> It's, oh. it's like when an actor has an accent you didn't know about. That's just Doe <laughs> turning go. off his public persona, and he, he reverts to Simpsons you know. book guy. Yeah, did I you can't know that, ever let that happen again. Did you know Hugh Jackman's Australian? Never knew. <laughs> um, next question is from Garbage Rulers via Twitter. What is the one thing that has you the most excited about Star Wars Unlimited? I mean, my answer is so cheap it's just the release date <laughs> i don't know what else to say man <laughs> it is absolutely the release date the game the mechanics the rules like i can bunch all that up and say like there's not one element of this that i'm like oh this like i'm so excited to do xyz no it's the whole damn thing I, my, i'm excited to play the damn game to open my packs and sit down and play the damn game yeah i mean i'm gonna say the same thing i i'm not even gonna pretend that i have anything specific i'm just extremely excited to be playing a star wars card game again that that is it like some of the best times in my entire life we're playing a star wars card game against somebody else across the table and i'll get to do that again now which is uh which is going to be great with a a new game where there's things to figure out you know obviously i still go back and play the old game all the time but uh, it'll be fun to have this new game where we can theory craft together and we can find out these things and see things you haven't uh, you weren't expecting on the other side of the table and all that. So getting to do that in the Star Wars, uh, you know, universe is going to be a ton of fun to get to dive back into it again. So, yeah, it's not a cheap answer at all. I, I think that is that is a very legitimate answer that uh, I'm just I'm just hyped to play Star Wars card game. That That's it. You know. 
I I have a different answer. My my answer, the thing that I'm most excited for is uh, the trip that we're all taking that Fantasy Flight Games is paying for to send us to Star Wars Galaxy's <laughs> Edge for the big uh, opening oh, day promotion. Forgot about um, that. You know, we just, we just, no, no, of course they're not doing that. But <laughs> what, a, what a Jedi mind trick that would have been. I, you know, I'm just saying. No, you know, if they're you flying you to Minnesota free, in winter. <laughs> Listen, I don't know. I don't know when the game is releasing, but I'm just telling you, I'm free that day if you're going to send us all to Galaxy's Edge. <laughs> Whatever but, day it is. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it is, I'm free that day. Um, no, my answer is definitely getting my hands on the game, but like very specifically for me, it is uh, cracking packs and drafting. I'm a big limited guy, so I'm really looking forward to the first draft experience, but also just in general, that smell like you, you get your box, right? You yeah. start cracking packs and it's a brand new game. So you don't even really know what chase cards you want or what you're looking for. You're just happy about everything that you open and that new pack smell like that experience is something so cathartic and therapeutic. And honestly, like that is what I'm most looking forward to is just that day one. You get a you know box or a case or whatever, and you just sit and you crack packs and sometimes you draft with some buddies or whatever. That's what I'm looking forward to. I will say this. Um, I, I mentioned some of my friends that I, I grew up playing the old Star Wars CCG with. I actually just haphazardly mentioned uh this or i i think i sent him actually a, i sent another friend of mine our short that we did or like one of the shorts that i made i just say hey, like take a look at this my buddy's like there's a new star wars card game i said yeah i'm like i thought i'm sorry i'm like i thought you would have known about it and he's like give me the details because he hasn't played card games in a long time and it's basically reinvigorated his interest in card games because it, it's star wars and again I mean, all three of us are going to sit here and sort of wax poetic about the nostalgia of just trying to chase that feeling we had with Star Wars CCG. And I will be completely honest with you. Like when I, uh, when Charmer and I embarked on this journey with Wampa Radio, we were just like, we have no, no clue what this, what this card game is. We don't know the, the rules. We've seen a couple cards, but I think it's safe to say that we were obviously drawn in by the IP, which we love so dearly, but also... We're just like, damn, I hope it's come somewhere close to that feeling we had. And I think that with everything that's come out so far, I can confidently say that it might not be Star Wars CCG, but that's okay because it's on a it's it's sort of diverted towards a different place, but it's still it's still it's still aiming towards that same feeling. And I cannot wait, like you mentioned to just open the packs to say, I got my, my Han Solo. I got my, this, I need my, this, do you want to trade for this and this, that like, I, I honestly think that the three of us, when the game launches should just bring our cases into one location and we just open together hey, and have a good time. You're free to free to come down here. I mean, uh, yeah. Fantasy flights like 15 minutes away from my house. So, uh, so I'm, I'm going to go there and sleep in their parking lot tonight. Actually don't, <laughs> this will air after it's done. So they won't know it's, it's going to be great. But no, um, yeah, I mean, I, I do want to clarify too. We talk a lot about the decipher game cause it was so good and it, it is incredible, but like, I don't, uh, I, I feel like I don't, I don't personally need to chase that nostalgia personally with this game because I can go play that decipher game whenever I want. That's, that's still there. They're still making 
you know, new sets for it. Um, so it's like that that's there. I'm looking for a new Star Wars card game experience, you know, which is which is what's exciting about this one, too. And there are there are cool elements that remind me of the Decipher thing, which is, I think, really smart that they're including that kind of stuff. But I'm just excited about, like I was saying earlier, the new the whatever new metas develop theory crafting with people like you to, you know, come up with decks and test things and like just something new in the Star Wars world. That's that's going to be great. Mama, and we're close? Question mark. We have no idea. I but, guess so. I I don't know. Hey, I like we are not we are not having trouble filling content, and that's that's a good thing, and I'm really happy about that. We are on a nice journey to release date, which is a mystery, even even to us um, mm. who are constantly trying to sniff it out. But again, thank you so much for submitting to the bad feeling mailbag if you'd like to submit to the mailbag you have a question for us a comment a suggestion for a topic for us to discuss please send it at Wamper radio on twitter Wamper radio podcast at gmail.com is the email address you can reach me at watch flake on twitter at ggdoa for doa and at that charm 3r the droid bot himself will uh hit you with a dad joke meme for sure And on that note, friends, uh, I do want to remind you, please give us a five-star review. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. We get a lot more views than we have subscribers, so let's try to even out those numbers. Charm Baka with the the advice to end all advice. Give it to us. May the force be with you.